Hello, everybody. Greetings, greetings from uh, my sound booth. <laughs> I hope you're all doing well today. Uh, this Monday, February 14th, aka Valentine's Day. So hello. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, hope you're all doing well. Uh, but we've got, of course, today kicking off our week on Monday, um, some of our space events to look forward to. Cool astronomical occurrences, uh, really cool alignments, really cool galaxies that are visible, um, and a bunch of other stuff too. So some space history thrown in there. Uh, but I hope you that this podcast finds you well today. Hope you're all having a great start to your week. Um, and yeah, let's go ahead and kick it off. So hello, my name is Athena Brensberger. You might already know of me, uh, maybe through my channels, Astro Athens, where um, the, this is Space Talk. And I designed this specifically, I made this podcast to try and just bring together the space community and even those who maybe are not in the space community, but are just curious about astronomy and space exploration and science in general, uh, just to have like a place to, to come and, and chat about some cool things. Uh, now, some of our recurring episodes uh, typically are about what you can actually see in your own backyard. Uh, that's the whole goal of why I do science communication. Um, it's to try and um, just maybe inspire or encourage uh, anyone out there who might be listening to go outside and actually just look up at the sky and see um, a different perspective look at things that maybe we don't look at often, like stars and other galaxies, and maybe buy a telescope or use rent one, use one, find a place that's <laughs> that's having a star party, and just explore the sky. Now, as I mentioned last week, we are going to start exploring different cities around the world that have space events going on. So where you could either go and look through a telescope or go uh, meet a bunch of really cool astronomers or people that are doing research in the field, uh, lectures, World Science Festival. There's a ton of cool things that are always going on either at museums or universities or just public spaces. Um, and I've just over the years, I've learned about quite a lot of them, at least in the New, the New York tri-state area, uh, which is not where I'm based anymore. So I got to learn all about Texas now. But there's a bunch of cool things going on. So if you want to put in a request for to me, uh, for a specific city that you would be interested in going to some space events, shoot me a DM here on the Colin app and just let me know what it is, uh, what city you you would like for me to look up some places of. Um, but of course, I will probably start with New York just because that's where I know a lot of the events. And then also Los Angeles because I spent some time there. But that's that. Um, right before we get into our space events this week, I just want to announce uh, two special guests that we have this week that are going to be joining Space Talk. First, we have this Wednesday, Corey Powell. He is um, an American science writer and journalist. So he's worked with Discovery Magazine. He has a podcast with Bill Nye. Um, he's doing a ton of science uh, communication and uh, just writing in general and literature and a ton of really cool stuff that he's working on right now. Um, and he just, oh, we've been going back and forth via email seems like a really awesome person to just chat with anyway about things like like alien life and the probability of that existing and and where we're at as humanity and if we can evolve to a point where we can now uh, achieve interplanetary uh, travel and eventually interstellar travel. So with that all being said, I'm super excited for that interview. It'll be at 3 p.m. Central Time, so when we usually do this podcast, uh, this Wednesday. Then on Friday, we have Cheyenne Smith, and she's doing something super epic. So she originally comes from a background of arts and communications, 
And she's now pursuing her, her astronomy degree, but is building something called a mobile observatory. And it's super awesome. It sounds exactly like what the name is. So it's an observatory that is mobile. You're going to be able to bring it to different locations. And so to learn all about how she's doing that and why she's doing that, um, tune into that episode, which is going to be this Friday at the same time, 3 p.m. Central Time. So right now, 3 p.m the same time on Friday. So those are our two special guests we're bringing on this week. I'm really excited for everyone else that's coming up soon. Um, but of course, we're also going to do our recurring things uh, that we do here on Space Talk, such as what we're going to talk about today, which are our space events. So I broke this up in four categories. We have Astronomy Word of the Week, Musty Celestial Events, Deep Sky Objects, and Space History. So let's go ahead and start off with astronomy term of the week. Sometimes it's interchangeable with word, and that's just because it might have two words in the term, such as Aurora Borealis. I chose Aurora Borealis. Um, why did I choose it? I just thought it was cool. Uh, I didn't actually... Oh, it's because when I was setting up my email newsletter, so if anyone re receives the weekly transmission, um, you already know about this. I chose a... Uh, gif on the top of my email that is of the, the Aurora Borealis. And so that just made me want to choose the term. So also known as the Northern or Southern Lights, depending on which, which hemisphere you're in. Uh, it's a wonderfully beautiful phenomena that occurs when charged particles from the sun interact with both the Earth's electromagnetic field and the atmosphere. The colors tell you which area of the atmosphere it's interacting with due to the concentration of certain elements that are found in our atmosphere. So glowing green to yellow, which is what you see most of the time, it's most common. And that's because the particles from the sun are colliding with oxygen. There's a lot of oxygen in our atmosphere. And they're mainly found in the lower parts, about 250 kilometers above the Earth's surface. Reddish colors are more rare, but they can happen. And that's usually from collisions happening much higher up in the atmosphere, thinner atmosphere, less density of of molecules and elements, about 320 kilometers above the Earth's surface. Then you have purple and blue. And this will usually indicate the presence of nitrogen. And that can happen around the, about the same height as red, so pretty high up in the atmosphere. Um, but you could see that also from the surface of Earth. Um, what's really interesting is with their unaided eyes, um, it won't look as vibrant. It'll maybe look a little bit more almost faded, transparent, but capturing it on a camera, really sharp lenses, uh, whether it's uh, for an image, still image or, or video, that's where you'll really start to capture the colors. Um, and a great experiment uh, was just before coming on here right now for this episode, I was filming for something else. And I had uh, a few different colors, lights in my room. I had uh, black lights. I had reddish and bluish colors. And I noticed that it looked bright. It looked pretty. It looked pretty cool. Uh, but it wasn't super saturated. But as soon as I went back and looked at the photos and the video I had taken, once obviously I processed it a little bit, edited the images, it looked a lot more saturated. So it always, you know, usually comes down to the editing. It's the same thing with astrophotography. Um, but... That being said, that is astronomy term of the week, Aurora Borealis. Now to jump into our musty celestial events, I'm going to start off kicking it off with the moon phase. So we are moving into the full moon, which happens in two days on February 16th. 
It reaches its fullness of the fullness phase at about 11.56 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So keep a lookout for that moon. Uh, It should be pretty cool to see. And then for our um, different alignments for stars and stuff and planets, February 16th, Mercury reaches greatest elongation, but it's on the western side, so it's greatest western elongation. It's visible in the early morning sky um, during this time of the year. So when it reaches western elongation, that's its point of its orbit um, in, in comparison to Earth, where we are now being able to see it in the early morning sky as opposed to the evening sky. When it's visible in the evening sky, that's when it's approaching greatest eastern elongation. So that happens February 16th, about 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Then on February 19th, uh, you have an early morning alignment. So similar to last week, where you have three different planets, Venus, Mars, and Mercury. Now, Venus and Mars are typically a little easier to spot. Um, Most of the time, they're usually higher up in the sky. Usually, they're a little bit brighter. um, But Mercury... Um, during this time is also relatively prominent. The only tricky part is it sits very, very low on the horizon. It's not going to rise that high up, about no higher than about 15 to 20 degrees above the horizon. So you might not be able to catch Mercury. But if you do and you're elevated, this will be on February 19th at dawn, about 45 minutes before sunrise. And that's going to be, once again, next to Sagittarius, like we mentioned last week. Um, But a little bit easier to spot is you're going to notice a teapot shape, which is the asterism, the teapot asterism within the Sagittarius constellation. I'm going to read a small excerpt I got from Sky and Telescope magazine, which I am a subscriber of and super, super excited about it. So if you guys ever subscribe to magazines, I recommend Sky and Telescope uh, very strongly, such a such a great um, resource for just stargazing in general and some other cool stuff. Okay, here's a quote: Right after night becomes completely dark this week, the west of Cassiopeia shines high in the northwest, standing almost on end. I'm going to pause there. Um, I forgot to mention you're going to face your southeast horizon for that Venus, Mars, and Mercury visibility. So southeast horizon. If you're taking notes, look southeast. Okay, back to the quote. So talking about Cassiopeia, which is a really, really cool constellation, one of my favorites, uh, that's because it looks like a, an, up, an upside down M, so a W, or a zigzag, or cat ears. Um, and I think that it's it's really, really cute. So the west of Cassiopeia uh, shines high in the northwest, standing almost on end. So it's basically going to be just above your horizon. The brightest star between Cassiopeia and the zenith at that time for the world's mid-northern latitudes, so mid-northern, kind of keep an eye out of where you're located, where your latitude is, geodatas.org, really, really good, geodatas.net, excuse me, really good source to find out your latitude, are um, two different stars. We have Murfak and Alpha Persei, and this is about a magnitude 1.8, so you can see that without binoculars. It lies on the lower right edge of the Alpha Persei cluster, a large, elongated, very loose swarm of fainter stars about the size of your thumb tip at arm's length. At a dozen are six magnitude or brighter. So there's at least a dozen of these stars that are 
within this constellation that are about six magnitude or brighter. There's definitely more stars within the, the cluster. However, the ones that are most visible will be about those 12. So if you catch that, it'd be awesome. It's recommended to use binoculars. And then you have Alpha Purr, which is a white supergiant. It's a true member of the group at its brightest light. So it's super, super bright. Again, I'm reading this quote, so I'm like jumping back and forth between describing what, what they're saying very poetically. And then the rest are, are pretty far away. So the supergiant is going to be really bright to see. The rest of the stars within that cluster are about 560 light years away. So going to be kind of tough to see the rest. So that being said, there is a little bit of an excerpt of what's visible on February 19th. So I hope you get to get outside and catch any of these um, really cool starry events. Um, and I hope you get to get to check that out. Uh, we have a really great galaxy that's visible this week, but only in the Northern Hemisphere. I'm going to go ahead and do a quick music break, and then we're going to jump into this deep sky object that's visible. Alrighty, let's jump into it. So you might wonder why are you always taking these small little breaks? Because it's quite tough to talk for <laughs> for just just like a consistent straight um, uh, discussion. Basically, it's a monologue. So if anyone ever wants to call in, you're not interrupting me. Just go ahead and click the call in button. Say hello. Maybe you want to chat about something that came out in the news. Maybe you have a question. Uh, feel free at any time to tap the call in button. Um, I would love to hear from you all. So on February 18th, M81 is visible. This is also known as the Bode's Galaxy. It also has the catalog name of NGC 3031, in case you wanted to look that up. It's in the constellation Ursa Major, and it's mainly visible from the Northern Hemisphere. So it's at a magnitude of 6.9. You're definitely going to need binoculars or a telescope to see it. So for my friends in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, if anyone listening is in the Northern Hemisphere, can you go ahead and send me over an emoji just so I know that I am talking to you um, in this way? Uh, I could, yeah, maybe maybe there's some hope that one of you all can catch it. It starts to rise at about 7.02 p.m. local time, and then it's going to be sitting pretty low on your on your northeastern horizon, about 35 degrees above the horizon. So you might not be able to really uh, catch it right away. If you can stay up late, do it because it's going to reach its highest point at about 1232 a.m. local time at about 54 degrees above your northern horizon. So that might be a little bit better to try and catch this galaxy. Um, if you are using a digital telescope, um, you can actually just look up this galaxy, its visibility, either on a stargazing app like Sky Safari Plus um, or uh, Sky Guide also mentions your right ascension and declination, which is your north, south, and then east, west coordinates of where exactly the galaxy will be located. So this way you can program it into your telescope. If you don't have a programmable telescope, you can point it within this area. I recommend, uh, let's see, trying to use, I would develop maybe a, 
an astrolabe first to figure out where exactly these locations are, where exactly you want to point your telescope. Um, otherwise, it's going to be it's going to be pretty tough to try to just point a telescope and find it. Um, but otherwise, if you want a few more tips about how to locate things in the night sky, let's see. I'm going to pull up a diagram that I have saved recently of all the different things you can do with your hand uh, to see and measure things in the sky. Um, I'm going to send this out actually to my next um, my next email newsletter. So if anyone ever wants to see that, you can go ahead and subscribe at astroathens.com. Um, so if you wanted to try and see where things are in the night sky, if you hold your arm out, at arm's length and you make a fist from your index finger knuckle to your pinky knuckle that is 10 degrees. So if you rotate that and your thumb is up and your pinky's on the bottom, you have 10 degrees. And then you stack your fist on top of each other and eventually you can measure the sky. You can measure how high up you need to go. Taking your index finger, your middle finger and your ring finger from your index to your ring is five degrees. So if you squeeze all three fingers together, that's five degrees. Holding out your index finger and your pinky, that's about 15 degrees. And then your thumb to your pinky is about 25. And your pinky by itself is one degree. I know that might be a lot if you're not writing it down, but you can always look at this up online as well and look at the, the diagram or the image. I have a really great image. I'll just share it on my Instagram later if you want to see that, or I can DM it to you. Uh, but that is a really helpful tip for when you're trying to find objects in the night sky and you're not exactly sure which way to look, but you kind of know which horizon you're facing. You know you're supposed to face north, but you don't exactly know how high up is 45 degrees. Use these tricks with your hands and you'll be able to figure out where everything's located. Should be should be pretty straightforward. So let's now jump into our space history. If there's any birthdays this week, What's up? Happy birthday. Uh, maybe send me an emoji. Maybe tap the call in button and join me. And um, maybe your birthday will align with uh, one of the birthdays that are happening. That's actually happening this week from space history. Or maybe your birthday aligns with one of these really cool historical events. Starting with February 18th in the year 1930 was the discovery of Pluto. This was by Clyde Tombaugh. Then on February 18th in 1977, the Space Shuttle Enterprise completed its first test flight on a Boeing 747 shuttle carrier aircraft. That's right. You heard that right. It sounds so crazy. If you haven't seen this before, you didn't know about it. If you knew about it, you're probably like, all right, Athena, you know, it's not that crazy. But when I first learned about this, when I was a volunteer at the Intrepid Museum in New York City, I just like... I was so excited. I like, like blew my mind. I was so shocked that the massive, heavy, hunky space shuttle could fly on top of an airplane. And this was one way of getting it to transport. This was a way to get it to launch as well. Um, so it was a glider. The Enterprise never went to space. It was strictly a prototype. It was strictly to do gliding tests for takeoff and landing. Um, it was also used for crash testing. It was used to figure out what happened during the Columbia disaster. Um, it was used for a ton of different things. And it's also on display at the Intrepid Museum in New York City if you ever want to go see it. I won't be there as a volunteer anymore, but there will be some pretty cool people there who can tell you a lot of fun facts about it. 
so that, that that's about that about the enterprise. There's so many cool things I could talk about with it, but let's keep moving forward in this week's space history. On February 19th in 1473 was the birthday of Nicholas Copernicus. So he was born on February 19th in 1473. That's a number I don't say often, 1473, which is pretty crazy. Then on February 20th in 1962, John Glenn became the first American to orbit the Earth. And so this is a really exciting time for the U.S. Uh, just the year prior, Yuri Gagarin became the very first person to ever um, go to space and orbit the Earth. And he was a Russian cosmonaut. And so for those of you who also don't know, Yuri's Night is a huge celebration. It happens April 12th because uh, that was the year, that was the date that Yuri Gagarin flew to, flew to space. And there's a bunch of space parties that happen all over the world. If you go to yurisnight.com, you can actually find a ton of locations around the world where people have put in their specific party. Let me make sure it's yurisnight.com and not .org. Oh, it's yurisnight.net. Um, and there's, you can find like a ton of places of where there's space parties going on. If you want to go to the one I go to, <laughs> it's the one that's in Los Angeles. Um, it's, I think, probably the biggest <laughs> space party. It's so cool. Um, I, I got to be an ambassador for for one of the years. And I know a few of my friends who've put together that event. Um, and they've had so many incredible people go, go there and speak on stage and have presentations. There's always um, booths set up of different um like just science experiments that have been conducted on the ISS and there's like a silent disco and it's like you're all partying underneath the space shuttle Endeavor at the California Science Center. So it's super fun. Um, I don't know if tickets have gone on sale yet. I've actually been looking for them. So hopefully maybe I'll get someone on from Yuri's Night on Space Talk, which would be super exciting. This year it's happening, I think, on April 9th. So if y'all wanted to go out there, that's when it's happening. All right, so that is about everything for our um, space events that are happening this week. Um, so yeah, if you guys wanted to go outside and check out any of those events, let me know if you ever want to come on Space Talk and chat with me about something, um, such as right now, I see that I have a caller. So it's that simple. We're going to take the next caller. And Mario, you are live. What's up? Hi. Hello. So what's up? How are you doing? Um, let's see. I don't hear you, Mario. Oh, you can't? Oh, there you are. There you are. Sorry, oh, I had okay, my volume okay. really low. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So, oh, Also, uh, I'm calling in because a bit of space history, which I believe is worth being mentioned. Um, today, actually, is the anniversary of the pale blue dot image, um, which, you know, it's one of the most famous images in, yes! in space. Oh my goodness, you're right. February 12th is, yeah, for, well, for, for, February 14th, excuse yeah, me. February 14th, yeah, in 1990. It's one of my, my all-time favorite images of, of all, like, space, of anything ever. Um, that is so cool. I completely forgot about this. Thank you for mentioning it. I, I, yeah. Oh, it's so, oh, do you, do you uh, have Carl Sagan's line memorized by chance? Oh, his speech about all yeah no i i wish i did but One i do line. remember <laughs> yeah i remember uh the first time i saw his image it actually accompanied that speech and you know this really like just like i felt amazement 
like in the amazement I felt from that it was like can't be a script. I amazed that we can know what we know, and a wonder that this excitement of what we will know, how we as humans so small can ex- can know something so big, and that's really you know the feeling I get from that image. And oh yeah, it's so good. It's yeah, it's it's such a great. If anyone listening doesn't know about the pale blue dot image, um, you gotta go check it out right now. It's like. Oh man, it's I, I think everyone I've ever met in like in, interested in space uh, knows basically everything about this image. Um, for a little bit of background, it was taken by Voyager One, um, as Mario mentioned today, February fourteenth in nineteen ninety, um, and I think it was taken from wasn't it from Neptune? If Neptune's distance, it was about six point four billion kilometers, four billion miles away. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. The, the- Without seeing from six billion commerce, so oh, yeah, it's yeah, so it, crazy that would be accurate, yeah. And it just really puts it into perspective how it looks like you know a piece yeah. of dust in your room. <laughs> and yeah, it does. Like oh my, like we are so like I like I knew I was small, but this really you know internalized it, how small we are. Like Earth looks so small, and we as an image of human are small compared to the Earth. Yeah, and that we can look back and take a picture just oh it's like amazing it's like chills yeah Yeah, total chills this this is why i think it's so important um exploring space and also just like chatting with with you for instance where you're chatting with other people about space exploration or looking up at the night sky because it all is about perspective at the end of the day wouldn't you say i mean i feel like if we didn't have different perspectives we maybe would be living very different lives. Uh, and I think that when we have these types of views, it can start to shift just the way that we maybe be, treat each other every now and then or, or behave differently. I mean, think about how, like, you don't really know how, you know, how bad things can happen until something bad happens to you. And then you're like, whoa, whoa, I really have empathy now for others. And I and I understand what other people go through. Um, and it's, it, it's so, so with this is, it's a very similar thing, I think, is seeing the Earth taken from so far away and how we just look like just this this tiny place that could just vanish out of nowhere. I completely yeah. agree. I completely agree. It's, it's so crazy. Well, Mario, so glad you came on here to remind me of that space event. I'm taking note of it right now so I don't forget <laughs> it next year. Um, so many. Otherwise, how are you doing? You doing well? Oh, uh, I'm doing great. I'm no longer feeling on the weather, you know. Oh, that's, that's actually, good. That's actually pretty. That's actually, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a pretty bad, you know. Uh, right now, I actually got. I only have a very minor cough that's tapering off. You know, I'm, I'm staying away from everyone. You know, it's fine. That's good. That yeah. that's really good. Okay, well, hopefully, you get to get outside and look up at the night sky sometime. Um, and yeah, and, and catch yeah. some of these space events. All right. Well. All right. Thank you. Alrighty, thank you, Mario. Awesome. So if anyone else wants to call in, of course, um, at any time you can tap that call in button and join the conversation. I'm going to read a little excerpt from Carl Sagan uh, regarding the pale blue dot. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I will read a small part of it that uh, really spoke volumes to me when I first heard it. Um, When I first heard it, I believe it was a YouTube video and um, someone had like sent it to me and was just like, I think I was having like a pretty bad day and they were like, Hey, just sit back, like just relax, close your eyes and like, just listen to this because um, you know, again, it comes down to perspective. 
So looking at the image, you guys should totally Google this later, pale blue dot. This is from Carl Sagan. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, and everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregated of joy, the aggregate of joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer. This goes on and on to talk about all the different examples of people, but they basically, they lived out their lives here on this planet, on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. I'm going to pause there. It's just to sort of picture that a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. How many times have you seen like the sun glaring through your window and there's some dust going by? That's what we look like to the Voyager 1 spacecraft back in 1990 today. It's just so astonishing to think about. And all you do is just like one, one blow of air and that dust can go flying you know, in your, in your room or wherever you are in that sun. And this is what that looks like from space. This is, this is our earth. This is every single human being we ever knew all that existed, all the, all of our documents, all the things we obsess about our favorite foods, um, our, our taxes, you know, the, the, the people we love or loved, or we maybe don't like all of that has existed here. And it just takes like, almost like one, one occurrence can happen and it all can be gone. And I think that we have to sort of recognize that, you know, the occurrence can be something like an asteroid being flung out of the asteroid belt because of, you know, Jupiter, Jupiter's gravitational pull is so strong, it can cause an asteroid to have a slingshot effect and maybe come near earth. And, it can collide with Earth and everything's gone. Like in the movie, look up, you know, um, or you know, having having wars and and like just destruction here on Earth. Do we do we truly want that to happen? Do we want these things to happen? And it just really makes you sort of um, makes me sort of step back and start to look at that from another another point of view. Um, and so I hope that wherever you are. Um, and even to this, this was said, I don't know if this was before or after Carl Sagan was, was diagnosed with cancer, but, um, this was just like, just perspective. And, um, it's, it's something that I'm so happy Mario came on here to remind me that that was today, that that image was taken because I think it really caused a, a shift for a lot of people, a lot of humanity when that image displayed on television, and people spoke about it on the radio and people saw it floating around the newspapers. Um, it's something I think we have to sort of recognize. That's our precious earth that gave us life, that gave us everything we know. So we got to we gotta take care of it really, really well. So if uh, you guys want to read the rest of this, there is an excerpt on planetary.org, which is part of the Planetary Society, Bill Nye's uh, and Carl Sagan <laughs> Um, and, and Richard Feynman's uh, nonprofit. So if you ever want to check that out, um, go explore that. I'm probably going to repost this image today. 
but I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Um, one more chance if anyone wants to call in and ask any questions or say anything. Um, otherwise, I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Go look up in the night sky. Catch that galaxy that's going to be visible on the 18th. And I hope to see you all tune in again this Wednesday and Friday for our two special guests, Corey Powell and Cheyenne Smith. All right, guys, have a great rest of your day. And until next time, add Astra.